let's walk through that. So what was the, the mission for that day? What were you guys doing? Because the, you're not, are, now tell us also too, are you driving or are you riding this time? No. So this time, you know, I go there, I'm with 82nd again. Um, we're called to help out a small unit of us, a task force 300 is called to help out. It's a bunch of uh, scouts, airborne scouts. So I'm, I'm put with them and we're supposed to help first cav out during the surge because this was the big surge in Baghdad. So we're just north of it in Bakuba and Zagania and along the riverbanks patrolling all that area where you don't have a lot of options with roads you know, with the riverbanks right there. And they like to hide in the palm groves along where all the water is. So our job was to go there and clear all that area and find them all because they're running out of Baghdad, staying, trying to stay hidden along the riverbanks and all the palm groves. So we had to go flush them out of there. So that day we're just on another mission of resupplying and checking on everybody and make sure the camps need. I, I know we were bringing some um, engineers out to help rebuild, build up one of the uh, forward operating bases. I was a lead vehicle in the passenger seat, the convoy commander of it, uh, in our NCOIC of the convoy. We left about seven o'clock that morning, seven thirty, and the last thing I remember is, and I do a joke about it, was having a cup of coffee. Because the lieutenant, the S-4 supply officer, was going to come out with us, or Captain Graspaw, was going to come out with us and just check his supply line, too. And he was really good about that. Um, talk about a good officer. There's one right there. He would make sure everybody was taken care of everywhere he went and checked on it. He didn't have to leave the base, but he wanted to go check on there and be out there with everybody. So he got in behind me, and I remember just waiting for him to get there, and I had the extra cup of coffee. And then I woke up in Texas in the hospital. That's what I remember. When you woke up in Texas, what's the first thing you remember? I mean, there's got to be, like you were saying, where am I? How did I get here? Is this what heaven looks like? You know, what what was, what if you remember, what was it like waking up? Right. When I, when I first woke up, I mean, I, I, first things I can remember are people telling me that you're in San Antonio, Texas, you're in the hospital, and I have to repeat it. Okay, where are you again? I'm in San Antonio, Texas, in a hospital. And I don't know how many times they made me do this. If it was one day or or when they started doing that, because I know that for the first 30 days I was in ICU, and I thought I was captured. I remember hallucinating, and uh, they told me I, I would break out of metal splints and try to escape. I was putting nurses in headlocks. And I don't remember any of that stuff. Those sexual games. I mean, that's kind of tough when you're hospital, isn't it? Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't remember anything that happened. I woke up there and trying to escape from everybody. Uh, I remember hallucinating from all the medication. I was telling my wife at the time, like, I thought they were breeding um, African mosquitoes in me. I tell her they had me put me in a cave and they had me strapped to a chair. And I told her, take the kids and run. <laughs> uh, and she's like, no, you're in the hospital. You're, you're, you're fine. And, but I found out later when I, when I put it all together, they put you in, it's called the pink Cadillac at the chair so that you're sitting up. So you're not laying in the bed all day. So they sit you up for a while. And so I know I kept bugging. I'm like, let me out of here. <laughs> I didn't want to sit up anymore. So that, that's why I thought I was captured And the skin grafts where the mosquitoes, where they took the skin and they had to actually peel the thing after uh, 10 days later, they start kind of peeling the zero form off. And where they took the skin graft from, and then 14 days later, they can re-skin graft from that again. But it's weird looking back at it, you know, when once Leo told me, when I figured out what was actually happening to me, it's like, okay, I can see why I hallucinated that, why I thought that was the case. 
Mm-hmm. Kind of like dreaming. You'll have weird dreams, and you don't realize what it is. It's like, I'm on fire. The house is on fire. Then you realize you were just, you know, warm or like the, you know, fall asleep in the chair in the electric heater or whatever, you know, your, you know, heating pad just, you know, warmed you up too much. But yeah, how long like, did it you're, you're, You think you're in a hot tub, you wake up and you just pissed yourself. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I hate when that happens. Murph, <laughs> you mean when you have the dream or when you piss yourself? <laughs> Moving right along. Moving right along. Nothing to see here, folks. How long did it take you to come to to actually understand what had happened? Uh, it was shortly after that, probably like 40 days in, I, I knew that I got injured. Um, I knew the other guys had, had passed. Um, I realized I was in the hospital. I, the last hallucination I had, I was talking to my sister, and I actually knew I was hallucinating at that point. Because I was telling my sister, I'm sitting on the edge of a New York building, like looking down in an alley. And the alley goes and it spreads out into a beach. And my sister's like, no, you're sitting in the hospital room. You're talking to me. So I know I'm talking to my sister, but I still couldn't see her. Now, I had, my head was burnt to the skull. My left eyelid was almost totally burnt off. They Very little minimum, like eight milliliters they found of it. Um, the right eyelid was burnt pretty bad. So I had to wear goggles with medicine on my eyes. So I couldn't see for the, like almost two years. Like really blurry in the hospital, couldn't see at all. They had a patch from a surgery or something like that. So I knew all the doctors by their voices, the nurses. I could, I, my hearing got better because I couldn't see. I could tell you who's coming down the hallway. And my sister goes, "How do you know?" It's like I can hear him. She goes, "I don't hear anything." And sure enough, here comes that nurse. Or that doctor would walk in the door. It, it was strange how my hearing got better, um, but again, I couldn't see anything, so that didn't help with the hallucinations. I can't even talk hallucinations, you know. But it it was the, one of the hardest things when I learned uh, Captain Grassball, who was, you know, the captain said behind me, I talked about earlier, his family called my sister's phone um, and asked what they can do for us. Wow. So uh, my sister, like, I, she, she got a message. She goes, I can't call him. I said, I can't right now either. We'll, we'll call him back. So it took us almost like two weeks, I think, to call him back. Um. And to thank them for calling. And of course, we all just broke down, just crying like big babies. Um, but I just, you know, it's amazing that here they're like, okay, what can we do for them? Just a real amazing family. Hey, so for you, because we've talked to other survivors, people who have, you know, been catastrophically injured. But for you, um, what was in your mind? Uh, you know, how were you getting through it each day? What were you doing to get through? Because this kind of gets into your comedy. Because, you know, we, we, you know, obviously with your bio and some of the stuff you did, but what did you do to give yourself that that uh, strength of mind, you know, to, to get through this? Because this is, I mean, I've never, I got to tell you, I have no idea what it's like, but just list, looking at your story, you know, it's got to be, some people get exhausted if they have to do something for a day, you know, for an hour. This is something you've, right. you've had to do for years. How do you get through it? Originally, I just thought I'm I'm injured in a hospital. And, you know, it's the army. They're going to give me Motrin water. I'm going to get better. I'm going to go back out there. <laughs> Here's three Motrin. To, you know, and call me in the morning. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna, they're going to fix me. I'm going to be fine. I'm just at the shop. I even told my wife at the time. He said, you know, as soon as they fix me, I get out of here. I'm going to try out for SF again. And I'm still going to go special forces. It's like, okay, tough guy. <laughs> you know, just Okay, whatever. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> so for that, I just thought I'd get fixed. Um and then there's just little things. Uh, my kids, my kids help me. 
making people laugh each day. It was, I always had the sense of humor from the beginning. Was ICU, they wouldn't give me any water. Uh, you had to have the protein drinks and all the sure drinks and stuff. And so I got mad at them when I was going for a walk. What I called a walk was me shuffling my feet around the nurse's desk, and I would be wore out from, like, walking 20 feet. <laughs> and I would yell at them, when I get out of here, I'm having a water party. Everybody's going to drink water. No alcohol, squirt guns, water balloons. We're getting water. <laughs> <laughs> Did they laugh at you or they just shake yeah, their heads? They're just like, whatever, guy. <laughs> You're the same guy that was just choking us and calling us bad names in the last week. <laughs> but it's just, you know, knowing that, you know, I got to be strong for my kids. And again, I just, I didn't realize how bad it really was, you know, that I'm just going to get fixed. But when I got out of the hospital, after spending six months in the hospital, uh, that's when I realized, okay, how bad it was. I was scared to leave the hospital. You know, they're always talking about oh, being a burn survivor, going out in the sun and stuff like that. And I left the hospital with no skin on my head. The still top of my head had no skin. So my wife at the time had to take care of me and clean that, make sure I didn't get infection. She, I mean, she would get the kids off the school, then do wound care on me, then take me to my appointments all day long. And again, it was just that sense of humor that kept me still messing with people. I still just kept going to the hospital and I'd wear, I'd have this dry dressing on my head and I'd make it like little dreadlocks hanging out of it. And I would paint them different colors. I was a Steeler fan. So I'd make them black and yellow for game days. Uh, <laughs> I'd make a red, white, and blue for 4th of July. I, I'd have an eye patch on and I'd put a googly eye on that. <laughs> so kind of a Rastafarian pirate, huh? Right. <laughs> but yeah, pushing for my kids, it gave me the strength and, and just trying to keep going. Now, now in the back of my head, <laughs> that's what I was showing everybody. But I was still struggling with survivor's guilt, a burden of my family. So without that skin on my head, every surgery I went into, I could get infection and die. So my kids had to worry, you know, family had to worry every time I had a surgery. So I thought it'd be easier for them if I would just die. They can get move, move on, move forward. Um, I, I should be there with those other four guys. Uh, there's, I don't understand why I'm alive. I'm useless. I can't do anything. I can't tie my own shoe. My kids have to help me. I could barely, I can't go to Walmart and walk around. I got to get one of those scooters. Like, this is crazy. I'm the guy that takes care of everybody else. So I prayed to God for almost two years every night, even though I was making people laugh during the day, being trying cheerful and, and hopeful at night. I just, all right, this, let me go tonight. This, I, I know you're there. Just let me go. And I just kept waking up, kept waking up and being me, you know, luckily God gave me the courage and strength to do what I do. And eventually it's like, okay. I got it. My head got closed off. We ended up, they ended up doing a tummy tuck to save my head and skin from my stomach. And I said, all right, if I'm here to raise my kids, if you kept me alive to raise my kids to, to teach them something because, you know, their kid's going to be president or whatever, then if that's why I'm here. I accept it. You know, I, I want, I'm, I'm going to be positive inside and outside, not just showing everybody else that, but I'm going to believe it myself too. And so I just... Well, that makes makes sense it was a tummy tuck because I thought you had a third eye for a minute, but that's actually your belly button in the middle of your exactly. forehead. Then, right? yeah, I got to pick a loop out of my ears now. Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> I get a headache when I eat too much, too. Yeah. See, it just takes a while. You set in. <laughs> hey, but but I want to talk something serious, though, because um, Murph and I both, not to the extent the folks in the military, but um, I've lost more friends to suicide than actually line of duty deaths. Uh, military, we've got an inordinate amount of people 
killing themselves. How, how did you, like you said, you were praying, but what, what do you think kept you from being the one of the statistics? My children. Definitely my children kept me. Uh, you know, I couldn't do that to them. If it was God's choice, it was God's choice. But if it was mine, I, I couldn't do that. And, and even today, there's times you think, oh, my God, I, I'll get everything I'm doing. I'll still get depressed. It still hits me. Um, I don't wake up like, hey, life is so great. Um, when I'm busy speaking or comedy and talking to others or doing a veteran retreat, then I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But if I, I can do that for two weeks straight and then take a day off going, oh, I'm depressed. My life sucks. <laughs> I just go into a slump. It, it's ridiculous. Uh, and I got to pick myself. So it's a battle every day. Even even with, you know, people see this, oh, he's so happy. It's still a battle. You still got to remind yourself. Um, sometimes we get to remind others and we need others to remind us. And so, you know, my mission now is to try to help others not do the same thing. You know, I don't want them to, uh, die by suicide. And that's, that's one of the things uh, my wife and I are trying to do with our nonprofit too, is teach others that it's died by suicide. It's that mental illness, that injury they sustained overseas during war that took their lives, that they didn't commit a crime. They didn't commit suicide. So we're trying to change the lingo of that too. And, uh, just teaching others what I learned to try to get through it. We see each other on here, and I know people can go to the website, but before we continue on, just now that you're kind of at this point, you know, in your recovery, tell everybody what the extent of your injuries are, because um, it's it's more than just your face, you know, um, right. it's your left yeah. arm, right? So what were the extent of your injuries? So I was technically burnt, 38% of my body was burnt full thickness through, and the head, the face, uh, the left side of my face is my shoulder. The right side of my face is my neck. They just stretch the skin up and, and put it on the right side. And, of course, my stomach on my head. Uh, my whole left arm was burnt real bad. I left, lost my left hand. I had that for two years. I kept telling them in the hospital, take my hand off. Like, it's just in the way. It's painful. Just get it out of the way. It's not worthless. And they kept trying to, to make it work. So they said, give them 18 months. I gave them two years. And we finally amputated the hand. Um, and then the legs were burnt, too. But other than that, and then when I take the skin... No, I was going to say, were your injuries only burned, or was there any shrapnel or any other wounds? Uh, I don't know of any shrapnel. If they did, they got it out before I woke up, but broken clavicle, fractures in the jawbone. Uh, my skull was messed up real bad. If you ever see pictures of my Humvee, it was upside down. It was three to four artillery shells that blew up underneath it, thrown at 20 meters. The hole was five foot in diameter and three feet deep. And if you look at the Humvee, it just looks like a convertible. You see the door I was in, it's still on fire. I got pictures of it. Um, so I must have slid on my head. So my skull has been scraped off. You'll see it's, it's lumpy um, because I had to shave parts of the skull off to uh, get good tissue to grow back on it because it was so bad. Like the doctor said medically, I shouldn't be alive. They didn't understand why I was still breathing, keep going every day. Well, it sounds like you do understand. I, I'm glad that you mentioned that. That you know, I think yeah. Uh, now I think today, I definitely get it. Because um, when, when I when I woke up from my coma, I was in a medical. I gotta say it correctly. Medically induced coma. Induced. Yeah, yes, medically I used to say induced. Seduced. I used to say <laughs> medically induced, and I didn't even realize I was saying it wrong. <laughs> I was on a panel That's one time. Will do wicked things to you, man. Right? I was on a panel with five other burnt guys, and we're sharing our stories to medical staff, and they were going to ask us questions. We all share five minutes, and they do a Q&A. And so it got to me, and I think I was in a medically seduced coma, and no one said anything. <laughs> but then after me is my Navy buddy, 
he was burnt in a boiler explosion. I call my BBFF, my best burnt friend forever. <laughs> he calls me out on it right away. And I, to me, I thought I said it correctly. I didn't hear it. He said medically seduced coma. And when he said it out loud and I heard it, like, oh, shit, <laughs> I said it wrong. He goes, what hospital were you in? You know, what nurse did you have? I said, don't worry about it, Navy guy. You wouldn't enjoy it. I had a female nurse. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, but you did have a pole in your uh, hospital room. So, uh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, seriously, though, when, I was, when I came out of the coma, I remember being in the coma. I can look back and remember it was like the best way to explain it is I was like on a giant white iceberg. And there are stars out at night and all lit up. But it was very calm, comfortable, warm, and voices telling me that I'm going to be okay and my family's waiting for me. Now, the atheist, which I was <laughs> four times in the foxhole, I didn't want to believe in anything, uh, would have said, Those are the doctors and nurses talking to me. But I know that that might have been family members. Definitely God was judging me at that point. And, uh, you know, people say, well, how could you believe in God now that he did this to you? Like, no, this is when God intercepted. I was a man and I had a choice to go back in the army. That man had a choice to blow me up. Those are our choices that we made. But this is when God intervened and said, I know that you could still do something. And I didn't know what that was again. So, again, I prayed. All right, I know you're there, but just take me. You're wrong. <laughs> I can't do this. But it's true what they say. You don't truly understand what you're capable of until you've been tested. If you told me before, oh, yeah, your head's going to be burnt to the skull. You're almost going to lose your eyes. It's going to be great. <laughs> you're going to laugh at it. Like, okay, sure. Right. You know, little right, Bill Cosby. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, of course, I said old Bill Cosby, not the new one. Not the one we found out about. <laughs> 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 and there we go. Then that's what I do. It's like, just as I make you cry, we have to laugh. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's very inspiring what you're saying there. And, and and I fully believe, brother, that God has a plan for you. And I think you live in that plan right now. I, I think I'm on the right path for it. I believe it. And I'm going to keep going. And people said, you know, they'll show you the signs. And that's what I love. I need these reminders. You know, when I'm tired and thinking I'm not doing nothing, it's funny. I'll get messages on social media going, thanks for what you do. Keep doing what you're doing. I've been following you for two years. And it can be. You know, someone was battling uh, a sickness or they lost somebody. They did not even just veterans. I mean, this is just civilians. Um, I think because I'm so open about what happened to me and my beliefs and everything uh, that, hey, I'm I'm sad, too. I cry. I get mad. I get angry at everything. But I think because I'm so open about it, people feel comfortable sharing their stories with me. And that helps keep me going. You may have lost four of your buddies, but I, I can tell you just from the number of people you impacted, you've saved more lives than were lost that day, just simply by keeping guys from or girls from pulling that trigger or, you know, taking those pills or do whatever it is, right? So lives were lost, but I think what your part of your mission was, okay, uh, I'm here to save lives too, right? Change yeah, lives, but I think you've you saved some lives. When I, when I learned that, it was I did a story on National Public Radio, and they were just trying to see how we were being treated at the hospital. Cause it was back when Walter Reed was having these issues. They were just overwhelmed. So they came to the hospital in San Antonio to see how the burn survivors were doing. And they saw it. that. That was the point where I kind of turned that page, and I was being more positive. It was two years after. And they just – when they did the story on me, I went online, and I saw that um, – that people wrote in there, they couldn't fathom going through what I went through and being positive on the other end. 
You know, and that's when I realized, oh, there's a sign. I need to continue to chase my dreams, be me, share my story, and I'll be able to help others. And again, that's the best revenge I can get for the four men in my Humvee and their families is to continue to serve and help others live my life to the fullest and not waste this life I've been given. I mean, if I sit on the couch and waste my life away, that's such disrespect to those guys and their families. And you're helping to keep their memories alive as well. I said, this is good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. So I assume um, you've got 100% disability? Right. I think it's 300, but only let me cash in 100. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you want something in the bank. <laughs> yeah, I got friends like, hey, can I borrow some of that? I'm trying to get to 100%. <laughs> I'm at 95. Give me a 5%. You know. <laughs> well, the, the reason I say that is that it could have been just one of those where, look, I've got 100% disability. You know, I, I could just, like you say, sit on the couch, collect a paycheck, and not do anything. What motivated you to not do that? What motivated you to say, you know, uh, I, you were kind of getting into it, but I kind of want to lead into this from your recovery. There's there's a physical recovery, then there's a mental recovery, and now there's uh, we're getting into an occupational recovery, right? Because you can no longer be in the Army. You're not going to be jumping out of an airplane, although I did see you in uniform after you were injured. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um, I, I got my uniform a couple times after I was injured. The first time I got my uniform was actually to go talk to fourth graders in Waco, Texas, because a little burn boy was being picked on at school. Oh! So I put my uniform on, went and talked to the school, talked to the kids, um, talked about how tough you got to be to be a burn survivor and what he went through at two years old. And um, he wanted to be a firefighter, uh, wow. EMS. So I brought him a fire helmet and all the stuff I got from the fire department on base, and they all signed it for him. That was, how many years ago was that? He was 10. It was. 10 years old back then. He's married now, and he's an EMS in uh, Galveston. He did it. God bless. Man, that's great. That little boy did it. (laughs) (laughs) How did those kids react when you showed up? Oh, yeah. You get the stares. uh, But that's why I put the uniform on. I didn't want to just come. I want them to see. You know, these little kids look up to to the Army. They see the uniform, the Army, and so, you know, they see that. And like, oh, wait, now they look at um, Grant, and they go, oh, Shoot, he's <laughs> he's like the army guy, um, so it's pretty cool. Uh, at first, they got all kinds of questions. Kids are just honest. I love the kids because they're just honest. <laughs> yeah, no, I, there are no filters whatsoever. Do you, are you still in uh, touch? Funny, with, it's, it's, like what happened? What, what happened to your hand? Like, oh, my hand. And that's it. The only question they have is why your hand's missing. And I, what you just think I was born this way, little kid? You trying to make fun of me? <laughs> <laughs> you tell them you remember your mom told you stop making those faces gonna freeze like that you better listen <laughs> are you still in touch with uh, i think you said his name is grant grant yep grant martin yep I, i'm still in touch with grant his mom and they're still in waco waco and grant's obviously in galveston now married and doing what he said he was going to do it's amazing Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, but see, that's the that's the impact when it's long term. There's things you can do short term, right? But when you when it's long term, when you see somebody thrive because of that, it's amazing. All it takes is a little change of perspective, right? You give them a different perspective, a different way of looking at it, and that's what you're doing. So let's talk about, like we said, you've had the uh, no longer back in the army, so you're still working on your emotional, you know, recovery, physical recovery. Is your physical recovery still in process? Are you done with operations? Or are you still getting some? Yeah, I should be done with them. The only thing that kept going on for a long time was my eyelids because they almost threw away my left eye. But they uh, brought me to surgery and thought, oh, we found a little piece of skin. Maybe we could save it. So they were able to save it. So um, 
the left eye I can't close at all. The muscles are gone. So they have to when the scar pulls down and pulls that eye open too much, it's exposed, I'll have to go in and put another skin graft to, to release it and cover it up more. That's typically what I have to do with any surgeries now. Um, but I haven't had one for five years. The last time I went in, they took a piece of my hip and they put it over my eye and they covered it. They just put a big chunk of skin over my eye and covered it for a month. And after a month, I went in and they cut it open and then I had an eye-open experience. <laughs> okay, so dude, I got to be listening very carefully because I never know when you're going to sneak one, sneak one of those in on me. I got, okay, was that a joke or is that what he's being serious? <laughs> Just let it set for a second like a grenade, then it goes off. <laughs> but yeah, as far as that goes, I mean, that's the easy part. You know, I talked to a lot of people and they're like, you know, you know, I wasn't as injured as bad as you. It's like, mm, you were. You did how many tours? Physically, you look fine, but that's the easy part. You know, I figure out how to do stuff with one hand. You know, I still go to the gym. I still work out. I still went skydiving. I had my skydiving license. I had 37 jumps with one hand and a hook. <laughs> um, with surfing. So you, the physical part, you figure out how to do that. But it's up here, this mental part. No matter what you've been through um, in your life, it's the toughest thing that you know that you had to battle through. It's the exact. It's equal to the toughest thing that I had to been through mentally because you don't know any different that's the toughest thing that's the battle the mental part is the is, is the big battle that will continue on i'm looking at your uh, uh forging forward foundation website here and i love your motto not what's wrong with you what's strong with you you got to focus on your strengths to help build your weaknesses and help others I know I keep getting sidetracked and I speak ADD. (laughs) (laughs) I got ADD too. Um, But but actually, I even have a worse version. I have CDO. Do you know what CDO is? No. What is it? It's OCD in order. So, see, that's how bad it is. (laughs) (laughs) See, snap one in on you there too. (laughs) Bobby, you see what I I have to live with now. I see. You're really not that old. You just look old hanging out with them. No, he's old, man. Uh, <laughs> hey, this bald head has become a defense mechanism. I can shine that up and blind whoever comes around me. There Especially you when you're driving, when you're all over the place. <laughs> Moses parting the Red Sea. Look out, it's Murphy. All right. You've been talking to my wife again. <laughs> no, I've been talking to the insurance claims adjuster. <laughs> he's making a living off of you, pal. Um, well, let's, 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 let's finish talking about you. So, um, Bobby, so how did you – what point did you start realizing that, hey, uh, this thing of making people laugh, you know, uh, I could I could actually turn it into something because, you know, it's scary. It, you know, there's, there's there's scary times like first time, even though you're prepared, jumping out of an airplane, still a little scary. What's going to happen? Right. Going into combat, still a little scary. Getting up on an open mic, you know, first <laughs> time got to be a little scary, too. Yeah, a lot of people don't like public speaking. I'm the high school dropout. I mumble. I hate it teaching my troops, you know? I hate the map reading class. Here, in line, give these map reading classes. I just hate it talking to other people like that and giving instructions for school. Like, I'm not that person. Um, Here's the headline school of map reading. Go that way. I'll see you yeah. later. <laughs> <laughs> the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Now you go. <laughs> Good luck. Um, but no, I, I was... Uh, just being funny. Again, it was a defense mechanism. It put others at ease. Um, so I was just joking around. And my occupational therapist 
when I just when I had my hand amputated and I was going through all that, learning how to use a prosthetic and everything. She's like, You're so funny, you should try stand up comedy. I said, There's no way it's gonna happen. Like with a bunch of wounded veterans and hospital staff, we all have a sick sense of humor. You know, just like law enforcement. You you have to have that sense of humor to deal with the jobs we do. And so I was like, no one else is going to laugh at it. She said, just try it. She kept nagging me and nagging me. So I said, finally, okay, I'll try it. I don't think I, I'm funny with friends and stuff like that, but how do I write a joke? I don't know how to do that. So, But I was going to L.A. to do um, uh, surgery, and she said, well, while you're out there, it was just a consultation at first. She was just uh, try comedy. My sister lives in L.A. She'll tell you where you can go to try to do comedy. I said, all right, I'm going to do this, and then you'll leave me alone. I'll be done. I'm going to prove her wrong. This is not going to work. 14 years ago, <laughs> I go to L.A. Her sister calls me. She tells me to go to the comedy store. I go sign up on this list. And you might not even get picked. You're like 40 people sign up. They're going to pick 10. So I'm thinking, okay, I was definitely going to get out of this. No, they picked my name twice. <laughs> so I had to tell the guy, my name's on there twice. I don't know why the mistake was. Someone's making sure I'm getting on that stage. I have no idea. Because they didn't see me. You just put your name on this list. Oh, okay. That's what I was about to like, ask. So nobody, started, nobody knew who you were. Yeah. No, they didn't see me. They didn't know I was a warrior. Nothing. And my first joke I wrote, I didn't want to tell people how I got injured. I didn't want them to give me sympathy. And like, oh, I'll just laugh at this poor veteran. I wanted to make sure it was funny. So I had to make up a story of what happened to me. But again, they're like, okay, uh, no, minutes. no, no, you don't get to, no, no, you don't get to gloss <laughs> I'm over get it. To I'm, okay. I'm, I'm going to I'll come it. back. Okay. <laughs> so I go in there to do my three minutes is what you get. And a little light comes on at the end and tells you you have a minute left. So, you know, after two minutes, the light comes on and then you got a minute to get off the stage. So I go Are in you there. talking about comedy or something else going through only three minutes? <laughs> three minutes would be a long time or something else. <laughs> I'd be in a whole other business. <laughs> uh, and that would be comedy too, probably, is what my wife would say. <laughs> right, so your one minute light comes yeah. on. Uh, before the one minute light comes on, I do that joke. You know, I, So I tell everybody that this is a rare birth defect. That my mother had to work through her pregnancy in the circus as a fire eater. <laughs> <laughs> Did they laugh? <laughs> they they kind of giggled at that. I was kind of a little giggle, but where I really got a compliment is after that I said, uh, and now my mom thinks she has a right to complain to me about her acid reflux. <laughs> and again, I got a bigger laugh. No one really laughed, laugh, but a comedian afterwards said, I like the acid reflux part. And I said, okay. I didn't realize. I thought the fire year, the fire year is funny, but the acid reflux they can actually relate to. So that made it even funnier. And so that's why I learned, like, okay, if I can write a joke that they can relate to, that's a really big laugh. Um, so that's another way of writing it. So, yeah, so I went back to San Antonio after that and started doing open mics. I'm like, okay, this, is, this really might not work. I'm not going to be a comedian or anything, but this is fun to go in front of people and make them feel uncomfortable. <laughs> it's kind of a fun thing uh, and then so I started doing it like three days a week I go to open mic and practice just making fun of myself and then I realized you know what if this does go somewhere I can help again another way to help whether sharing my story if I get on stage if you see me on stage now it's going to make it easier for another burn survivor someone with disfigurements when you see them you'll feel more comfortable talking to them if I can address issues that we have in a funny way 
So that's what kept me well, going. That's a reflux. I thought you were going to say you just got through eating Taco Bell and it exploded. In <laughs> Taco Bell other, exploded. That's the other end. <laughs> hey, so the, I, I read one article about your first stand-up. You, you kind of skipped over the last minute. What was that story about? Oh, <laughs> so I didn't have any more jokes. I read, I had two minutes worth of jokes. And uh, luckily, I'm, and in the ninth grade, I wrote a rap about being constipated. <laughs> that right there's funny. <laughs> so I referred. So yes, I was always kind of the funny goof guy. So I did uh, the, the constipated rap for I don't know. It was probably thirty seconds long. And I'm like, All right, that's my time, and I left. <laughs> okay, then, uh, you don't get the class. Uh, I'm sorry. Give us thirty seconds of the constipated rap. <laughs> All right. This happened to be in Canada too. The little kids were asking, "We want to hear it," so I had to like, beep out some words for them. But <laughs> hey, this is a judgment-free. You know, we're an explicit podcast, so yeah. let's hear the first well, thirty seconds. I'll, I'll set up by saying the the uh, guy, the, the the host of the show, said uh, uh, that sounded like it was you know an eighties rap. I'm like, that's when I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I was going through basic training when the Sugar Hill King came out with Rapper's oh, Delight. I yes. said, a hit, ma, ma, hip, to the hip, 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 Bobby, you don't stop. Rock it up, baby, bubba, to the boogie, to bang, bang, the rhythm of the boogie, to beat. I can do that all day long. Anyway, back to our regular schedule. Motel, 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 holiday, holiday in. <laughs> I don't mean to brag, I don't mean to boast, but we like hot butter on our breakfast toast. You know, some of the some of the language. <laughs> There goes this podcast, two old white guys trying to rap. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever went over to a friend's house to eat and the food just ain't no good? The macaroni soggy, the peas are mushy, and the chicken tastes like wood? (laughs) (laughs) I'm impressed. Okay, Wonder Mike, let's let's hear your side of it. <laughs> I'm Peter Piper, and I'm not hyper. No, I don't wear no baby diaper. My mother's in the 30s, my dad's in his 40s, my brothers and sisters all little noise. Well, you see, one day I was constipated rapper. I'm here to say I was sitting on the toilet all fucking day. My girls at the store get me some X-lax. All I got to do is sit here and relax. I'm probably sitting here through the night, struggling against this cock fight. I struggled out with no doubt, with the sleep, with the lights out. Woke up in the morning, I was feeling fine. On the way to school, I tripped on a vine. When I got home, I was very sad. My mother and father had... Oh, my God, I messed it up. <laughs> my mother and father had been in a fight. <laughs> I, I messed it up. I See, I'm not as good as you. I can't remember my own stuff. When I got home that very night, my mother and father had been in a fight. My mother was mad. My father was glad. My brothers and sisters, they were dressed in bad. So I went to my room to listen to some tunes. I shut the door, I turned the bass galore, I shook the windows, I bumped the walls, I even felt a tingle in my balls. Now that you know I'm full of crap, this is what I call the constipated rap. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, 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 I missed the, first... the part too where the windows were breaking and the walls were shaking because of this shit that I am taking. I, I, I missed that line. <laughs> there, I think that's all of it. <laughs> Oh, there is gosh. a first for Game of Thrones, oh. our first rap song ever ever recorded on on live on air. Yeah. Oh man, I gotta go get tissues or something. Wow, <laughs> In ninth grade, oh, that's crazy. Oh my god! So why, why didn't you just be bus? <laughs> When I become a rapper, you heard why I didn't become a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Let's talk about what you're doing now. So, because I mean, obviously, like I said, go, you can go to your website, BobbyHenlineComedy.com. 
you've, I mean, you've been, um, it's impressive because I mean, you know, I'm just looking at it here. It's like, um, Netflix, Showtime, Time, Prime, Today, Fox News. I mean, you've been on quite a few things. How does it, I mean, so you're starting to do this stuff. How did, how do people react when they meet you? And, you know, you've got, you've got a unique brand of comedy. I got to tell you, I mean, I, we listen to a lot of the specials, you know, listen to comedians, but you've got a unique brand of comedy. Nobody else has. Right. It's uh, it's definitely different. When I started doing comedy and it got more serious, they're like, well, you know, comedy is more about, you know, you got to be able to brand yourself. Like, duh, I'm already branded. (laughs) (laughs) Well (laughs) done comedian. Well done comedian. Is that too easy? Uh, yeah, it's, it's something totally different. There's no other burn survivor besides, uh, I guess, Richard Pryor <laughs> from The Crack. Uh, it was the first burn survivor to do those jokes. But <laughs> True. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely different than everybody else. It's, again, like we talked about, it makes people uncomfortable. And so it's been 14 years now. They've been trying to prove Susie wrong, telling her it's still not going to work. <laughs> this comedy thing's not going to work. But it is, it's totally different. It's, and I've learned to, one – Tell what happened to me in the jokes. That helped me a lot. I still I still do that rare birth effect thing. I just tell a little differently, leading into it. I learned how to put it in there better. Um, I tell what happened to me. I talk about getting blown up. You know, it's like I did. As you guys know, I was in the army. I did four tours to Iraq. Love my job. It was a great time. I got to tell you, that last tour was a real blast. I read you figured out what your lucky number was. Yes, yes, it's crazy. It took me four ID or four tours in IED to figure out my lucky number was three. <laughs> <laughs> but then I also had to learn how to put the audience at ease. You know, I do the first five minutes, I kind of shock and awe them, and then I'll talk about how they're uncomfortable, and I'll make fun of them why they're uncomfortable. And I even I, I talk about me being in a coma and talking to God, and I, I I've been able to make that funny. And at that point, I could tell them that God's given them permission to laugh, that they're getting free hell passes for this show. <laughs> so I, I slowly, the first 20 minutes is kind of being funny, but easing some people into it so they can relax and enjoy the rest of the show. You know what it reminds me of is after 9-11, uh, Rudy Giuliani came on, I think it was three or four weeks later. Um, because, you know, everybody was serious after 9-11. The coverage was wall-to-wall. There were no commercials, you know, just covering. But then they, they finally said, hey, look, we got to get back to some normalcy, baseball games, things like that. And so I remember the guys on um, uh, Saturday Night Live says, you know, uh, Mr. Mayor, permission to be funny. And I think can't remember what his joke was like, well, have you ever been funny? You know, but uh, it was kind of like at some point, right, you got to give yourself permission to laugh. Uh, and I think that's the toughest thing. With us, we're a little different because, like you say, we've all been used to the the macabre, the you know, the, the very um, tough parts of life, you know, seeing death and stuff like that. But that that's to me going to one of your uh, uh, gigs and stuff, one of your shows. I think the toughest part, if I didn't know anything else, the toughest part would getting would be getting comfortable enough to laugh. Right, right, and I get that, especially if I'm doing a uh, fundraiser event for wounded veterans. <laughs> you were trying to raise money for veterans, help them, and, and now you're making fun of them. You know, of course, any veteran in the room is cracking up. <laughs> um, they're having a good time. But it's a, it's, it's a thing, and I, that's part of uh, maybe what's held me back a couple times um, of not getting certain things. I, I had a script written for me for a soap opera. I won't say which one, but uh, one was written for me, and they turned it down because I was too injured. 
that's showing, even though there's already a, a wounded veteran on a different soap opera, J.R. Martinez, you know, we went to the same hospital, same uh, case manager even. You know, J.R. done some great things. But he, I guess he didn't look as injured to them. Apparently, I'm uglier than Jr. Apparently, and I disagree with that. I <laughs> right hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm burnt to perfection. Uh, <laughs> don't always warn the ladies. Once you go cooked, you're hooked. <laughs> oh God! Well, I was going to ask you when you go to a restaurant and you order a steak, how do you order it? <laughs> <laughs> See, I wait till Jamie orders her steak, and then I just say she likes it uh, well done, like her men. <laughs> How many times do you get slapped for saying that? It, she just likes to watch the reaction too. She's used to it now. Uh, hey, just just promise me we're not going to hell for making these jokes and laughing with you. Just <laughs> no, you get the pass. You get the pass today. If if you laugh on my social media, if, if you if you hit the follow button, if you laugh at me and you don't follow me on social media, you're going to hell. You have to follow after the laugh. <laughs> that's that's why he has 72 million followers. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so um, as as we kind of come to the close here, um, tell us about what you got coming up, right? So we're recording this, uh, you know, in February of 2024, just a bookmark it for, you know, the future. But um, you just had a, an event, but you've got some other stuff coming up. So wh- people want to catch you. I know it's they can go to the website, but uh, wh- what kind of things do you have coming up? Do you, do you mix comedy shows in with public speaking, with uh, motivational talks, with vet groups? I mean, how's, how does the mix of your activity look like? Oh, yeah. A lot of stuff still getting planned this year. I'm trying to figure out the calendar between our retreats that we're doing with the nonprofit, um, fundraisers, comedy shows, speaking, um, helping other nonprofits. You know, I'm doing some other stuff where I go out, excuse me, and just uh, help other. You know, it's about teaming up together. Our mission does one thing. Other nonprofits do another mission. And so if I could help them raise some money, too, we'll, we'll do that to make sure everybody gets help no matter what. Um, so I, I really can even tell you offhand, <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> without looking at the calendar, um, cause I know Jamie put it all in there. We got a lot of big, we got some big stuff coming up. We can't even talk about yet. Um, some big fundraisers we got coming. That's going to be exciting once we can release that news, which should be in a week or so. But if you go to the website, um, Bobby Henline comedy or the forging org the Bobby Henline Foundation, that's going to show all the retreats of your veterans out there and uh, our first responders that want to come to one of our retreats. You can see those will be posting soon. Um, We'll do retreats, camping, fishing, um, all kinds of cool stuff. There's outlets at our events. We do small groups, all kinds of cool stuff going on with that. Um, So you have to go out there and check. I I just, we got so much instilled at the beginning of the year. So it's all trying to figure out the dates, the when they're actually going to be. And this other thing that just we're trying to plan. So it's it's crazy right now, but I I know I'm doing some silky hikes this year in North Dakota. (laughs) I got the comedy festival, the world series of comedy. I'll be in like Akron, Ohio later next month, uh, trying to win the world series of comedy. So that that finally they'll accept me and make it fun of the, the burnt veteran. Is there anybody we can bribe to help you out? Anybody we can threaten? You know, hey, I'm, we got. Hey, by the way, we got. We know some guys like uh, Dominic, uh, you know, Polifron and Michael Franzese of actually a real capo regime of the Colombo crime family. We can hook you up, pal. You just got to call yeah. us. We'll we'll, we'll help you, you out. Hook this guy up right now. This building's going to be burnt worse than him. Oh, <laughs> oh, there's a threat I haven't heard before. <laughs> My whole goal is when I started off the beginning, and once the comedy started working, was 
to get one special out there. That's my goal, to get that special out, this 50 minutes to an hour that I have out there and put it out there on a special and kind of be done with the comedy part of it. Like, there it is. Hopefully that continues to inspire others. I'll continue to then focus more on, on the retreats and focusing on, on, on that part of saving lives. And, and hopefully when the special's out there, that, that helps get more attention to more people I can help is the main goal. And, and enjoy the grandkids. I need to start slowing down so I can enjoy the grandkids. Yeah, I don't know if you guys read that or not. They call me Burnt Paw. Burnt the grandkids. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they're just like, you're too, you look too young to have grandkids. Like, it's plastic surgery. <laughs> I guess that's calling it better than calling you crispy, isn't it? Right, right. There's a couple of guys. There's a crispy out there. that stuff with Black Rifle Coffee. Uh, Omar and I were uh, in the hospital together. Most of those burnt guys know each other. <laughs> oh, yeah, because there's only a couple places you can go, right, for recovery? Right, with the burns, you're going to San Antonio. Um, so we all go through there. And in 07 was a busy year because of the surge. So we got to know a lot of us. And uh, there, there was one time it was uh, the Navy guy and the other Navy guy he was burnt with. All three of us went to a pizza place in San Antonio and they got this like 48 inch pie and the, the slice is as long as your forearm. And so we're walking out of there with leftovers. It's a popular place, little tiny hallway. And you don't normally see one burnt guy. To see three of them together, totally disfigured, walking out of this piece of joint, trying to get by all these people in line waiting to get in, they're just staring. So about halfway down the line, I just go, careful, the pizza's really, really hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Did anybody laugh? <laughs> you could see somebody slap their knee, almost fell over. Other people are like, <laughs> kind of quiet, pretending like they don't hear anything. It's, it's kind of fun to do that stuff. <laughs> uh, well, hey, but to, on a serious note, before we close up, though, you've got four buddies uh, who will raise a toast to uh, yes. the next time uh, that that are no longer here. Let's let's talk about your four buddies before we close out. Yeah, uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, Captain Grassbaugh came out. Uh, he had a lovely wife. They met in in school on, in officer training and stuff like that. Um, we're a great couple, great family. I keep in touch with them. Uh, E.B. Molo uh, was sitting behind the driver, Rodney McCandless. Uh, E.B. Molo, we found, found out later, was a, a prince from the Ivory Coast. And he was a security guard in Greensboro, North Carolina for a while before he would join the Army. And he just loved being in the Army. Just uh, He loved it, uh, you know, coming to this country and then being able to serve it. Amazing guy. Rodney McCandless, you know, I met... I, I I didn't know these guys really well. I was with the unit for a short time. So for me afterwards, I had to go meet their families and learn more about them. I wanted to know more about these these men we lost. And I met Rodney's family. They actually thought that there was no survivors. They didn't had no idea. And uh, the Time Magazine covered that in their, their um, Healing Bobby documentary. Me meeting Rodney's sister and dad for the first time. Uh, Rodney's sister reached out to me on Facebook and said, uh, I heard I'm supposed to talk to you. You knew, you knew my brother. And I could tell by her message, she had no idea how I knew her brother. Um, and this was six years after. So I finally, I, I sent her a message and said, I was with your, your brother. So, um, in the Humvee. So I meet her and you see that on the magazine and you know, the, the time magazine, uh, documentary, you actually see Grant, the little boy too. 
they kind of cover everything I did, the comedy show, going to one of Grant's surgeries and, and meeting Rodney's family. So it, it was healing for me to meet their families and learn more about them. And then Levi Hoover was my gunner from Michigan. It took his mom a few years. You know, I, I reached out. The Grassball family was right away. Evie's family was short after that. Um, Rodney's family got like six years. And, and Levi's mom, I think, was probably about three or four years just because she wasn't ready yet to meet me. Um, so I finally met her in person. I said, that was 10 years later. I met her in person. So we emailed a couple of times. It was 2017 or 15. Might have been 15. I'm old. I'm old and blown up. <laughs> but I, I think I, I was, I did a run like you're on fire tour. So I made sure I ran. And that's, and that's actually the same year I met Evie's family in person too. That same year. I was doing the run like you're on fire, and I made sure I was running a 5K in in, in the 13 different states to raise money for traumatic brain injury and service dogs. Amazing! So I called the run like you're on fire tour, and I made little shirts with a stick figure like, like my logo with the head on fire, and it said "Run, Run, Bobby, Run" is what I put underneath it, and that's why I originally grew out my beard to be like Forrest Gump. That's <laughs> and then I liked it and it stayed. And Jamie thinks I look ugly without it now, so I'm not allowed to shave it. <laughs> <laughs> But I made sure that that route went through, so I saw the families during that time, too. So it was really special to meet them all and learn more about who they were. And so we all still keep in contact today. So for our listeners, we're dedicating today's episode, and this was with Bobby's permission. Uh, we discussed it beforehand. So this today's episode is dedicated to Jonathan, Evie, Rodney, and Levi. Thank you for your service, guys. Yeah, those are my angels that, that look after me today. Try to keep it takes all four of them. They gotta pull shifts to keep check on me. <laughs> <laughs> You're a handful. What can we say? Yeah. Well, yeah. there's always somebody on Overwatch with you watching what are you what is that son of a bitch gonna say next? I don't know whether to <laughs> laugh or not laugh or and those guys, those my angels are with me everywhere. They're they're in my truck. I have their dog tags with their pictures on them. Um they're tattooed on my body. Uh, I'll never forget my angels, um what they've done for me, speaking to me and helping me through everything well and i think that's empowering you to help others now too that keeps yeah. you motivated this, is, this look, has been fantastic well and and seriously um uh, you know we owe you a debt of gratitude that can never be repaid with money you know or anything else um eternal gratitude is all i can give you um but for what right. you do for our country um what you do for people you know here's the biggest thing for me what you do not only to stay alive but to keep other people alive that's that's your legacy, you know, making sure that we don't add another name to a list that's already way too long for this kind of yeah. stuff. No, what's one of the things we do with our nonprofit is we have remembrance tags and all the tags are they're basically dog tags. They're veterans names that have died by suicide. And we give those tags out to veterans at our retreat and they take an oath with me that they'll use those dog tags as a reminder of their strength. When they're down and out, um, they know those tags are there. It reminds them what's strong with them and to keep going, to live their life to the fullest respect of those we lost. And that's how we continue to serve for them. Because, again, these guys and gals that take their lives, these are all combat veterans. They sustain that overseas, that injury. is. If I went in for another surgery and I didn't come out of it, I died because of the injuries I sustained overseas. When they take their lives... That's what they're doing. It's not, they're not scared. They're not chickening out. When I thought about suicide, it was protect my family. If I took myself out, again, like I said, they would have to deal with me. 
You know, the kids don't have to stress out. Is, is dad going to drive out of the drive-thru? Are we going to get this order of the drive-thru done? Or is dad going to freak out and just take off out of the drive-thru? Is dad going to be able to listen to me today, tell my story, instead of at the restaurant or the movie theater, constantly looking around going, I can't talk to you right now because I'm, I'm, I'm watching out for you. Uh, being around my kids was harder than me being alone. If I'm around my kids and those are my soldiers, I got to constantly protect them. I'm more heightened then. Um, so I know that these men and women are doing it thinking they're protecting their family, that that way they don't have to deal with them anymore. And again, it's just something sustained from a war and that they need to be remembered just like the KIAs and everything. Absolutely. So everybody, you go visit bobbyhenlinecomedy.com, buy his stuff, buy his shit, just buy the shit out of his store, make him reorder the stuff, and then also go to forgingforward.org, right? Forgingforward.org? Yep. And everything we sell goes to the foundation. You get the You Are Beautiful shirts. Little six year old drew a picture of me. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to get me one. I'm gonna have yep. and go out That's to the range video. and say I know this guy. Yeah. So yeah, yeah we're doing ones now that are gonna say that you are strong and it's gonna have the little figure deadlifting. All right. Nice. nice. Hey Bobby, God bless you, brother. Thank you for your service to our country. Thank you for being a patriot. Thank you for taking the time to come and entertain Morgan, because without you I'd have to do it by myself and it's a, it's more than a one man job. <laughs> Anytime you need me, old man. (laughs) (laughs) It's been great having you on here, brother. Thank you very much. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. You guys, don't go anywhere. Everybody else, stay tuned for the debrief. The well-done comedian. Uh, You know, uh, again, it was... It was hard to it was hard to get into it, but then when we did it, hey, you gave us permission. He said, I give you a pass, you know, I give yeah. you a pass to do this. And it's like, but you could tell when I was listening to him, I think it was on the Huckabee show, Mike Huckabee had a show, his first kind of appearance. It took a while for the audience to warm up because they weren't sure what do we clap? Don't we clap? I mean, what do we do here? But yeah. the dude, the dude is just you know, if, if he wouldn't do this, he'd be in a very dark place, I think. And so this is what he does to help. And he's, I tell you what, here's the thing that's very important. He's probably helped save the lives of other people, of other soldiers, uh, by giving them the confidence, the courage to go on. Absolutely. And and I mentioned in the intro about uh, Bobby's connection with Jason Redman, and, and this is all about Bobby. But I, I got to tell you, this is how these guys get through these traumatic events. You got Jason Redman, who was shot in the face pretty much lying almost dead on the battlefield over there. When they finally got him to the hospital, they got him in the United States. He came out of the, the, the drug-induced coma that they put him in. His first three questions were, how are my troops? Have you called my wife? And is my face still pretty? <laughs> and that's the kind of comedy that Bobby came across with. You guys, you set the standard for other people. You make us proud to be associated with you. You, you demonstrate that you served your country. Now it's time for your country to serve you back. Guys, check out uh, Bobby Henline, his uh, website, Bravo 748. That's Bravo 748 Military and Law Enforcement Speakers Bureau. Uh, go online, check out all, with all the comedy acts he's doing. If you get a chance, go see this man in person. I promise you, you're going to have a great time. And maybe if you're lucky, he'll do the constipated rap for you. <laughs> if he can remember it. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a little while. Oh, I'll tell you what, guys. But again, as you see, so hey, guys, but uh, stay tuned because we got some really good stuff coming up. But hey, if you enjoyed that, let us know. Head on over to Apple, Spotify, hit those five stars. You can also leave comments on Spotify. So do that. 
We don't know how it works. It's an algorithm. It's in the clouds. It's magic. It's David Copperfield, David Blaine, Houdini, all rolled up in one. Also, head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com. There you will see a lot of pictures of Bobby before and after. And, and I'll tell you, it just it's it's inspiring to see how a lot of people would have given up. I think 99% of people might've given up. He's the reason why there's the 1%, the people who do this. So uh, we'll be updating it as we go along. Follow us on that thing called social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes on podcast, uh, Game of Crimes podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. And also head on over to Game of Crimes fans, uh, type that into your Facebook search tool. It'll bring up our group run by Sandy Salvato, our favorite mafia queen rules with the iron fist with the velvet glove. Also, patreon.com. We've got some good things coming up on patreon.com. So patreon.com slash game of crimes. That's patreon.com slash game of crimes. That's where you need to be. We've got some good stuff coming up and Murph may eventually work himself out of the doghouse with our next Narcometer review. So uh, we'll we're see. working on it. We're working on it. You got to come check us out. Well, and again, let's not go off on a tangent to where I said, what about this? And then five minutes, we talk about you partying with the guys down there. <laughs> One of the, <laughs> There is a Netflix series that was out recently. I don't want to give away too much. You can probably figure it out. But we were challenged to say, if, in fact, Sandy said, if you can get this person, you're off the hook. So you're very close and to it, getting that person weird. from I haven't that seen Netflix a, series. And we will a son of mine. I, had, uh, I haven't seen I'm him since four years old. And we even got a bonus to go on top of that, but I, I moved around wait so till much next time to find out we were about young that. And well, the bonus I got so is a challenge coin and a couple free T-shirts. So turns out I found him and he was living. Hey, guys. We hope you appreciate it. This again, uh, go to bobbyhenlinecomedy.com, H-E-N-L-I-N-E, bobbyhenline.com, comedy.com, and he's got a foundation. You said it was bravo748.org, bravo748.org. Head on over and support him. And guys, we just thank you once again for playing the biggest, baddest, and as you can see, the most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes. That was March 4th, 2007. I deployed a couple weeks later, and April 7th is when I was hit.